We need slow growth to make us strong and reliable so we don't quit on the Lord. Having a slow, steady, solid Bible faith makes us rooted and grounded in Christ. Would you open your Bible with me, please, to the book of Hebrews, chapter number 11. Hebrews, chapter number 11. Charles Naylor was born in 1874, and he grew up and became a Christian, and became a hymn writer, and he loved the Lord. In 1908, he suffered an accident while helping at a tent meeting. He was removing some timber and had a serious accident, and that messed him up a bit. One year later... Charles was hit by a bus, and that messed him up even further. And for the rest of his life, he died in 1950. For the rest of his life, he was an invalid. But he wrote amazing a number of hymns, 170 hymns that he wrote. And one of them, many of you know, we've sung it here at the church, It's called, I'm on the winning side. And the words are like this. Once I drifted out in sin, had no hope or joy within. And my soul was burdened down with pride. Then my Savior came along and showed me I was wrong. Now I know I'm on the winning side. How many know this hymn? Oh, a few of us. Okay. Well, let's sing the chorus then. Those of you who know it, let's sing the chorus. Well, I'm on the winning side. Yes, I'm on the winning side. Out in sin, no more will I abide. I've enlisted in the fight. For the cause of truth and right, praise the Lord, I'm on the winning side. Oh, you have beautiful voices. It's a wonderful hymn though, isn't it? These days we hear of people using that expression about living on the winning side of life. But what are they talking about? What does that mean, to live on the winning side of life? Well, a basic definition, living on the winning side of life, means living a happy, successful, fulfilling life. It means living life with a sense of purpose and direction, where one can overcome their obstacles and achieve their goals. And that's kind of a basic, rough definition of the winning side of life. But for the saved man or woman, it goes even further. It means more than that. Now, as we look around us in the unsaved world, we see a lot of unhappy people. There are many, many people who are not living on the winning side of life. They're living very unhappy. They're living very uh, defeated lives. Many of them feel trapped in life. However, we must also say that the world has its examples of people that they say 
are living on the winning side. And of course, this would include the millionaires and the billionaires, right? This would include the Hollywood socialites, the ones that have fame. But we must remember that even these wealthy, famous people struggle with sin. They really do. Many of them struggle with uh, 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 substance abuse. Many of them struggle with spousal abuse. There's violence they struggle with. They struggle with greed. They struggle with fears of losing what they have. They struggle with fears of getting older. And some of them spend $50,000, on liposuction and Botox and this lift and that lift. <laughs> Many years ago, this is not part of the notes, but it's funny. There was a plastic surgeon and they interviewed him on TV because he would do these uh, facelifts and things. And they asked him, how many times can a person have, their, have a facelift? How many times? And his answer was, oh, you can have uh, facelifts until your belly button's on your chin. <laughs> <laughs> the world has its examples of happy, successful people. But again, these people, they, they struggle with getting older. They struggle with death, the fears of death, many of them. Jerry Lewis made the, the world laugh, but he was a very lonely man. He, he was troubled. People would say, oh, he's, he's very successful and he's, he's living the winning side of life. Well, not really. There was a lot of losing side of life that he was familiar with, and he was afraid of death. They interviewed him, and he expressed that. And his greatest loss or sorrow of dying was in his own words, never to hold my loved ones again. And he started to weep on, on TV, on the interview. Um, in these areas of life, they sure don't seem very happy. They sure don't seem very successful. Now, to balance things off, we must also recognize the fact that there are many saved people in the world who are living unhappy lives. We have to recognize that. It's true. But at the same time also, God has his examples uh, of Christian men and women who really are living on the winning side of life. And these people may not be rich, they may not be millionaires, but they have certainly found the secret to victory over the world and the flesh and the devil. These Christian people have learned the secret of living on the winning side of life. And that secret is called faith and they live happy, successful lives and marriages, and they do it all by faith. Now, if you have your Bible open in Hebrews chapter 11, like I asked you, we'll take a quick look at a, a couple of examples here. Chapter 11, verse 4, there's Abel. He was the son, of course, of Adam and Eve. And here he, he offered a more excellent sacrifice than his brother Cain. Uh, he lived a successful life until... God allowed for Cain to kill, of Cain to kill him. And uh, look in verse 5. By faith Enoch was translated that he should not see death. That means he was taken to heaven. Look at verse number 7. By faith Noah, being warned of God of things not seen as yet. 
moved with fear, prepared an ark to the saving of his house. You see that? Look at verse number 8. By faith Abraham, when he was called to go out into a place which he should after receive for an inheritance, obeyed. And he went out, not knowing whither he went. He just obeyed God. Look at verse number 20. It says, By faith Isaac blessed Jacob and Esau concerning things to come. Verse 22, By faith Joseph when he died, made mention of the departing of the children of Israel and gave commandments concerning his bones. That was Joseph. Look at verse 23. By faith Moses, when he was born, was hid three months of his parents. So you see the parents are the ones that had the faith. Because they saw he was a proper child and they were not afraid of the king's commandment. The king had given commandment to have all the baby boys put to death. Maybe you remember the story. Look at verse 29. By faith, they, that's the children of Israel, passed through the Red Sea as by dry land, which the Egyptians are saying to do, were drowned. Look at verse 30. By faith, the walls of Jericho fell down after they were compassed about seven days. So we, we see the winning side here. That's all I'm trying to point out is there is a winning side. The winning side of life is a victorious life lived by faith. Faith to overcome bad habits. Faith to know the will of God for your life. Faith to have a successful marriage. Faith to have a successful career. Faith to raise godly children in an ungodly world. And many Christians are living on the winning side of life. And they're doing it all by faith. But what is faith? And that's a good question. It has been said that faith is probably the most misunderstood word in the religious vocabulary. And I kind of think it, that they're right. Because many people have an idea that faith means kind of a, a blind leap in the dark, hoping you land on solid ground. That's not faith. Back in the 1970s, a Pentecostal man told me that faith is a shiver up the spine. He said to me, when you feel a shiver up the spine, then you know you have faith. Beloved, that is not faith. Other people seem to think that faith is something you have to force yourself to believe in. You've got to convince yourself, stand in front of a mirror and make yourself believe in something. And none of these definitions are of any good. And so today we want to learn about faith. I want to speak about the, uh, uh, the happy, successful life lived on the winning side by faith if it's done properly. Let's have a word of prayer and then we'll look at the subject together. Heavenly Father, please teach us about faith. Please give us faith. Help us, every one of us. To live on the winning side of life so that others can see that and say, what is it you have? And then we get an opportunity to share Jesus. Please bless us today as we study this subject. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Well, again, in the Bible, as we have seen, there's many, many people who lived happy, successful lives living on the winning side of life. They overcame great obstacles. They were able to do unbelievable things, many wonderful things, and they did it all by faith. So the question is, what is faith and how do we get it? Well, if you look at chapter 11 again, we're given an explanation in verse 1. 
Now, we read this a moment ago, but I would like if you would read it out loud again once more with me. Would you do that? Hebrews chapter 11, verse number 1. Read it now with me. Now, faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. So that's our explanation in the Bible. However, typically this explanation needs explanation. We need to explain the explanation. What is faith? The English word faith comes from a Latin word, fides or fides. You've heard of fidelity? You've heard of infidelity? You've heard of fidelity? Fides, that's the root word. It means confidence, being assured of something. Now, the proper way to understand fides is to think of complete confidence and trust. That chair you're sitting in right now, you have complete confidence and trust that it's going to hold your weight. You could probably even bounce up and down on it. You could probably stand on it and jump up and down, and it'll be just fine. Your faith has found a resting place, hasn't it? This is what fides means. And the word faith comes from fides. And it means this complete confidence and trust. And so when we think of faith, we need to think of it properly as Bible faith or biblical faith. To just simply say you have faith doesn't mean much. Do you have biblical faith? That's what the key is. That's what we want to know. And faith is linked, always linked to God's holy word. Now, I'd like you to take your Bible and turn to the left, back to the book of Romans. Go to chapter 10, would you? Romans chapter 10. I'm going to show this to you. Romans chapter number 10. And in verse number 17, is a familiar verse to many of us, but I'd like if we could read it out loud together. Shall we do that? Romans 10, 17. So then, faith cometh by hearing, and hearing by the word of God. You see, faith comes because of the Bible. Faith and the Bible are linked together. You cannot separate them. This is a favorite verse of mine here in the book of Romans. And by the way, I want to welcome our sister Roman back from Ethiopia. And she is uh, one of the missionaries that we have sent out from this church. And we're so proud of her. So she's back for a few weeks. And in a couple of weeks, she's going to be making a presentation to our church. So you don't want to miss that. That's coming up. But Romans chapter 10, verse 17 tells us that faith is always connected with what God has to say in the Bible. God's Bible has all of the answers, folks. You might not think so, but it does. God put everything in there that you and I will ever need. Now, some smart aleck might say, oh yeah, well, what does God's Bible have to say about nuclear fission? Well, wouldn't you like to know? God has a lot of things to say in the scientific world. But as far as living our lives, the Bible is a complete instruction book. Someone once said that the word Bible, B-I-B-L-E, is an acronym. It means basic instructions before leaving earth. B-I-B-L-E. Now that's not really where it came from, okay? They just kind of made that up. But it's pretty cute if you ask me. 
But uh, really, it's our instruction book. And it has everything in there that we could ever need. The hymn, My Faith Has Found a Resting Place, really nails it because some of the words of that hymn are these, My heart is leaning on the Word, the written Word of God. And that's where your faith needs to be. Faith is not a wild, blind leap into the unknown, hoping you land on something good. That's not faith. That might be stupidity. But it's certainly not faith. Faith has to have a platform or a bedrock or something that it it stands or sits upon. Faith has to have a resting place. You have to have your faith in something. And for the Christian, our faith is in the Word of God, the written Word of God. That's where our faith is. Because this book gives us all the answers for home life and work life and social life and family life and every other kind of aspect of our lives. The answer is in the Bible. That's why we need to get in the Bible reading habit and then daily keep right at it till you've read the Bible through, clear through. You know, it doesn't take much, just a few chapters a day and you can have the whole Bible read through in one year. That's all it'll take. One year from now, you will be one year older. But will you have your Bible read through in that year? You can if you'll start today. Just a little commercial, a little promotion for the Word of God, a little shameless commercial there. Biblical faith is always, always in what God has said in the Bible. So if you're a Christian and you say you've got faith, then it had better be in what God has written. People who learn to develop and to live this kind of biblical faith will always live on the winning side of life. It's inevitable. It has to happen like 2 plus 2 is 4. It has to be the outcome. If you will live a biblical faith, you will live on the winning side of life, living a happy and successful and fulfilling life. It's always this way. Now, there are two important things that you and I need to know about biblical faith. Two of them. Number one, biblical faith is always a gift from God. God gives it. The world doesn't give us faith. The world has its idea of faith, where you stand in front of a mirror and do some self-help analysis and coach yourself and read books and watch YouTubes or videos or something or go to seminars on self-improvement. And I'm not saying that they're all bad. I'm not saying that. But I'm saying that that's not faith. If you can sort of use a worldly positive mental attitude and conjure up something, well, good for you, but it's not biblical faith. Biblical faith is something that God gives us. It's a living faith. It's not a dead idea. It's a living faith. Biblical faith is always living because its author and finisher is Jesus Christ. And I want you to see this with your own eyes if you go back to Hebrews. Go back to Hebrews and chapter number 12. The very next chapter. Hebrews chapter 12. I want you to see this. Hebrews chapter 12 verse 2. Looking unto Jesus, the author. You know what an author is, right? Right? You know what an author is? They invent things with words, books and articles. That's the author. 
author and finisher. So it's like the beginning and the end. He starts it, but he finishes it as well. Looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our, what's that next word? Faith. If you have biblical faith, then you got it from Jesus. He gave it to you. Consequently, if you do not have biblical faith, it's because God never gave it to you. And maybe you, you never thought to ask for it. Did you know that? You never thought to ask God to increase your faith. That should be a good prayer request. That should be your prayer request every day. At the throne of grace, Lord, increase my faith. And God wants to do that. That's a good prayer request that God will answer. So I said there's two important things we need to know about faith. Number one is always a gift of God. And number two, faith comes to us in two different ways. So number one, it's always a gift of God. Number two, it comes to us in two different ways. And the first way it comes is slowly. And the second way it comes is, anyone? Quickly. I was just a little wondering if you, if you knew that. Slowly and quickly. God will give you faith. He wants you to have faith. There's two ways he'll give it to you. Slow and quick. Now, for the balance of the sermon, I want to take a look at slow and quick. Okay, so point number one. The slow faith. And it means exactly that. It takes time. We're talking about over a period of days and weeks and months and years it takes time in second peter chapter two in fact go there turn to the right you're almost there at second first peter second peter chapter two second peter chapter two Oops. Pastor Devian, where are you? Just when you need the guy. He's in, oh, he's, he's, he's gone, is he? Okay, well, anyhow, I apologize. I, I don't have the, uh, the right reference here. I apologize. My, my bad. Um, Wait a minute, did I say 2 Peter? Ah, there's a mistake. 1 Peter. 1 Peter. Thank you, Lord. If any man lack wisdom, let him ask of God, right? 1 Peter 2 2. 1 Peter 2 2. I wonder why I told you 2 Peter. Well, getting older. Okay, read that verse with me, please. Okay, 1 Peter 2 2. Read out loud. As newborn babes desire the sincere milk of the word that ye may grow thereby. There we have it. There's a perfect picture right there of growth over time. Babies will grow into adults, right? But it doesn't happen overnight. It takes time. Sometimes we wish they would hurry up. I I heard many years ago uh, a mother once say, you know, when my children were first born, I, was, I, I could hardly wait for them to, uh, to walk and to talk. 
And then finally they did, and I, I wanted them to sit down and shut up <laughs> after that. So anyhow, that's something else. But uh, babies will grow if we care for them and feed them and protect them, right? They will grow. They'll grow into adults. They'll no longer be babies. But it takes time. And it's the same with us in our Christian lives. It takes time for us to grow. The faith grows, but God designs it to be slow. Sometimes we're in too much of a hurry, like the children. You know, they, they say, oh, I want to drive the car. I want to drive the car. You're too little. One day, maybe, if you're good, <laughs> but not now. They want to do things they can't do yet. Sometimes we're that way. And we want to do things that God's not ready for us to do. So we have to leave it in God's timetable. So we're simply saying this, slow faith. As we read the Bible, as we study it, as we memorize Bible verses, the Holy Spirit makes faith grow within us. But it takes time. This is the slow faith. Now let me relate this to you in practical terms. Do you realize that every week you have at least 11 opportunities for spiritual growth, for your faith to grow. Do you realize that? You have at least 11 opportunities. Seven of them are every day when you get alone with God and read your Bible. I hope all of you had a time of reading your Bible this morning rather than just getting up and getting ready and getting out the door. I hope you took time, spent a little time with the Lord, reading his word and praying that's precious. Those are precious times. And it's an opportunity for your faith to grow. Those are just seven of the 11. You say, what are the other four? These are four supercharged opportunities you have for your faith to grow. Sunday at 10 o'clock, that's our Bible study time. Sunday at 11 o'clock, that's what you're sitting in right now. Sunday at 6 o'clock, that's our evening service. And by the way, Pastor Devian is going to be preaching and he's got a sermon entitled, Make Way for the Ambassador. You're going to like that. And Wednesday at 7 o'clock, that's our family service with Bible study. And there's some games and food in there as well. It's a wonderful time to come away from the world midweek and get together. You have 11 golden opportunities for your faith to grow. Of course, obvious question is, are you taking advantage of all 11 opportunities? Some Christians, they say, well, I don't go to church, really. You know, what I do is I listen to Christian radio. I watch these, you know, things on the YouTubes and on the Internet. That's my church. That's where I go. Listen, beloved, you will find some good things out there. But I am warning you, I am warning you that there's bad mixed with the good. If you watch enough of that stuff, or if you listen to enough Christian radio... It ain't going to be Christian. There's going to be some very worldly things. The devil is going to try and get a little bit of, of poison in there. Now I ask you, if I set out a glass of milk, maybe you're not a milk drinker. Okay, well, you think of a, something you do drink. Maybe you drink Pepsi or Coke or coffee or some, whatever it is you drink. And I, I put that there in front of you and I said, now don't be alarmed, it's all good, 100% good. Except for a tiny, tiny little speck of manure that I put in there. How many of you would drink that? You'd say, well, <laughs> thanks, but 
I don't think I'm thirsty. You watch enough of that stuff on the internet or listen enough of that stuff on the radio and you will consume some manure. There's going to be some evil, bad doctrine, some heresies. We used to have people. I've seen this happen several times over the last 24 years. We've had people attend our church and then they stop attending. And I inquire and I find out what's going on. They were listening to something on Christian radio, so-called. They were watching a bunch of YouTubes or the internet websites or something, and they got a hold of some bad doctrine. And they said, well, our church doesn't believe this, so I'm leaving. And they left, and they affiliated with those groups. And then after years, they realized they were wrong. But then they were too embarrassed to come back home. And so they're out there somewhere attending who knows what church. But I can guarantee if you listen to too much Christian radio or to the uh, internet stuff, you are going to get infected. There will be a little bit of manure in your glass of milk. It's going to happen. So it's just a warning. Be careful. You know, even a lot of the so-called Christian music that they put on the radio and on these websites and so on, all it is is a few emotional words put to some heavy-duty emotional music. That does not grow your faith. Don't tell me it does, because it does not. Because God says only, faith only comes when it's connected with the Bible. Faith cometh by hearing, and hearing by the Word of God. 1 Peter chapter, not 2 Peter. 1 Peter chapter 2 verse 2, As newborn babes desire the sincere milk of the Word. That's the Word of God. That's how you're going to grow. So don't tell me, oh, I listen to this stuff at a Hillsong and oh, I feel, you know, my faith is growing. It's not. Your emotions are getting the better of you. You be careful of that. Look at all the scandals that have come out of Hillsong recently. It's a house of cards, folks. It's not built on the Word of God. So be very careful about that. Why do we need this slow kind of faith? Why, does it, why is it, do we have to have it? And there's at least three reasons. Number one is to overcome sin and bad habits. Sin and bad habits can come in quickly, but it takes time to get rid of them. And slow-growing faith will eventually get those things out of your life. A growing Bible faith will put you on the winning side. There's a story about a native chief who got saved and then later, about a year later or so, he was giving his testimony and he, was, he put it this way. He described his life this way. He said, in me live two dogs, a good dog and a bad dog. And someone said, well, chief, which one, which one gets the better? Which one wins? The chief said, whichever dog I feed the most, that's the one that wins. It's almost as if, now you don't have the devil living in you, I know that, but you've got a sin nature and you have Jesus living in you. So whichever one you feed the most, that's the one that's going to win. You need slow growth in order to get victory over the world, the flesh, and the devil. But number two, you, you need slow growth in order to put into practice good Christian habits like your daily prayer closet. It takes some people time. It takes some time to get into a good routine of getting alone with the Lord. Faithful church attendance. It takes time. 
to grow solid in faithful church attendance, tithing. Sometimes it takes a Christian's years before they have enough faith to start tithing. And then God blesses them, mind you. Faith promise giving for missions is the next step after tithing. And of course, there's other things as well, but we need slow growth to help us to develop these good habits. Number three, we need slow growth to make us strong and reliable so we don't quit on the Lord. Having a slow, steady, solid Bible faith makes us rooted and grounded in Christ. In Psalm 92, verse 13, it says, Those that be planted in the house of the Lord shall flourish in the courts of our God. Slow faith helps lay a foundation of our lives upon the solid rock. And when the storms of life come, and they will come, we will stand firm. The Lord Jesus told us in Matthew chapter 7, He said these words, Therefore, whosoever heareth these sayings of mine and doeth them, I will liken him unto a wise man which built his house upon a rock, and the rain descended, and the floods came, and the winds blew and beat upon that house, and it fell not, for it was founded upon a rock. And everyone that heareth these sayings of mine and doeth them not, that means you come to church, you hear this, and you say, well, that's nice, but, you know, I'm not interested. i got other plans. I'll do it my way. Jesus said, Everyone that heareth these sayings of mine and doeth them not shall be likened unto a foolish man which built his house upon the sand. And the rain descended and the floods came and the winds blew and beat upon that house and it fell and great was the fall of it. And out in the world, many millionaires and billionaires are finding that to be true. They're building their lives upon the shifting sands of the world, not upon the solid rock of the Word of God. Failure to grow day by day in Bible faith will eventually develop serious and fatal character flaws. In the New Testament, Demas was a Christian man. In the New Testament there, he started well. He went out with the Apostle Paul, of all people. But he failed to grow in Bible faith. And as a result, he developed a serious character flaw. And he quit on the Lord. And he went back into the world. And sometimes we see Christians do that. And we say, why? What happened? Because they didn't grow. They didn't grow. John Mark in the New Testament was another example. And he also, probably because of lack of slow, steady growth, he fell. However, he was able to recover with the help of Barnabas. But it took him years to do it. So this is slow Bible faith. And we all need it. I need it. You need it. Every Christian needs slow Bible faith. But there's a second way that God can give us faith. Does anyone remember what it is? The quick way. The slow way. The quick way. That's point number two of the sermon. The quick way. What does that mean? It means quick. (laughs) It means in a short amount of time. It means like all of a sudden. Now we see this if you turn back to the book of Ephesians. So I think you're in 1 Peter. Don't go too far. You'll, you'll see Ephesians. Galatians, Ephesians, then Philippians, Colossians. So Ephesians chapter 2. You'll see this clearly. I think you'll see it clearly. Ephesians chapter 2. Look at verse 
number eight. It says, for by grace are ye saved. The word saved means to be saved from going to hell. So that now you're going to heaven when you die. Oh, happy day. There was a day in my life I was terribly afraid to die. I didn't know what was going to happen to me. I knew there was a hell out there, but I was just afraid to die. I didn't know what was going to happen. People who are not saved go to hell. For by grace are ye saved through faith. There's the word faith. For by grace are ye saved. How does it happen? It comes through faith. Now watch. And that, it's referring back to the faith. And that, not of yourselves. It is the gift of God. It's the faith that God is talking about here. And then not of works, lest any man should boast. And here we see lost people getting saved. Born again is another expression for the same thing. But they get saved quickly into God's family. And that shouldn't surprise us. I'll give you an example. When, uh, when a, um, a, a lady becomes pregnant, she can figure on nine months before the baby comes. And those nine months can sometimes feel like nine years. At least, I don't know this firsthand, but this is what some of the ladies have told me, that sometimes it feels like a long, long time, especially if the baby's late. If the baby's due on the 22nd, and now it's the 23rd and the 24th, each day feels like a week, you know, and they're just, oh, when is this baby going to come? I hear that. But then finally the baby comes. Does it take nine months for the baby to be born? Yes or no? Come on, I know you know. I know you know. What's the answer? Yes or no? No. No, the baby can come fast. Some ladies give birth fast, like in 15 minutes. You know, bang, the baby's out. I don't know, ladies, what do you think of women who can do that kind of thing? That's, boy. And then for others, it takes a few hours. For my wife... We were up around, you know, 19 to 22 hours of labor. Uh, but it wasn't like nine months of, of giving labor, of labors. It was just a few hours. And then there's the baby. So comparatively, fast. It's quick. Um, it's like this when you get saved. You know, it may take time for someone to get ready to be saved. But when they're ready to be saved, boy, it happens quick. It happens. People about to be saved have a sudden rush of confidence, faith. Where'd that come from? It's given to them by God. It's the faith they need to repent of their sins and trust in Jesus Christ to be saved. If you've never repented of your sins and trusted in Jesus Christ to be saved, you need to do that. God tells us there's a heaven above and a hell below. And you're either saved and on your way to heaven or you're lost and you're on your way to hell. But I'm a good person, someone says. I haven't murdered anyone. Well, join the club. Not many of us have. But that's not the only sin. There's murder in the heart. You can wish somebody dead. There's a lot of evil thoughts we've had and bad words we've, we've spoken. There's a lot of promises we've broken. And all these things are sin. And it only takes one pin to pop a balloon. And we've done a whole lot more than one sin. Truth is, our goose is cooked. We've got no chance. 
We're destined for hell unless we get some help. That's why Jesus came from heaven. God in the flesh. He died for our sins on the cross. Was dead, buried, and rose again the third day. He's alive today. Boy, that's why we celebrate Easter. He's alive. He's alive. The same Jesus knocking on the doors of hearts of unsaved people. May I come in? And it's either a yes or a no. Salvation is a free gift. Jesus brings it with him. You receive Jesus into your heart. You get saved. You say, no, thank you, Jesus. You cannot come in my heart. I have better things. I'm too busy. You're lost. It's just that simple. In Ephesians chapter 2, we realize that Bible faith is a gift of God. It's a gift of God, and God gives it to the lost sinner at the right time. But listen to me, God also gives special faith or sudden faith to the seasoned Christian as well. Sudden faith is given by the Holy Spirit so that the Christian at the right time can do the will of God. In Acts chapter 16, the Apostle Paul was trying to preach the gospel in different places. And each time, it was like the door was being closed. And he finally ends up at this port city, wondering, what has God got in mind? And then that night, he has this vision of a man on the other side of the water, on the other side of the continent there, uh, calling and saying, come and help us. And finally, he figured it out. And it's like his eyes were open. And it says that they gathered, assuredly gathered, the Lord wanted them there. And so off he went. He had sudden faith. Let's go, guys. And away they went. And they did a great work in the city of Philippi. And that's why we have the, the book of uh, Philippians, which is uh, the, the next book here after Ephesians. You've got Philippians. That's where that came from. That was sudden faith that God gave to the Apostle Paul. Um, many years ago, like decades ago, Almost 40 years ago, there was a man I knew. He was a born-again Christian man. His name was Christian. His last name was Bauer. Christian Bauer was his name. He came to our church out in Ontario where I was pastoring. And he told us his story of how he got saved. But he said he grew up in Hungary. And he was a few years older than me. He grew up and he got forced into the army in the 1960s. Hungary was a communist country in the 1960s. It hadn't come out of communism yet. I think that happened in, I don't know, 89 or something like that. But it was a communist country with communist ideals. It was against the law to be a Christian, to have a Bible. Here he was a Christian man and he was forced into the army. He was enlisted into the army there, forced in. And so he had a Bible, small pocket Bible, and he was hiding this thing every way he could. Well, one day when they were all standing out there for inspection, the soldiers went in and they examined all the footlockers and they found a Bible. Now, to, to be caught with a Bible meant big trouble. You'd be sent to prison. They could torture you. You could go off to some gulag, maybe never be seen from again. And so they came out and they held it up. And they said, we found this Bible. Who owns this Bible? 
And Christian Bauer was telling me this story. There he was. That was his Bible. And he was a young man, a young Christian man in the army. But he said to me, all of a sudden, I had this real confidence, this faith. And I stepped forward and I said, it's my Bible, sir. Knowing that it could mean imprisonment, maybe death. I said, what happened? <laughs> I knew he didn't die because he was right there in front of me. I said, what happened? Well, he said it was a miracle. I, I should have gone to prison. I should have been punished. But they just said to me, we're going to keep it. Don't let it happen again. But Christian Bauer said, I never forgot that time, that moment in my life where I just stepped forward. I said, it's my Bible, sir. That's sudden faith. That's quick, all of a sudden kind of faith. And that's the kind of faith I believe that many of our forefathers and foremothers had in the days of the Roman Empire when it was illegal to be a Christian, when you could be arrested and maybe thrown to the lions. Those dear Christian people had that kind of faith given to them, given at the, by the Holy Spirit at the right time so they could do the will of God. That's why you get sudden faith. That's why God uses it. That's why he gives it. You need it in order to do the will of God at the right time. I got saved in April of 1975. But in June, I felt a sudden faith that God was calling me to full-time service. Now, it took a few years before I could get into it. But I had this rush of sudden faith. God feel, I feel God is calling me. In 1978, God gave me sudden faith to enter Bible college, and I did. In 19, actually it was October of 1979, God gave me sudden faith to go ahead and propose to my girlfriend at the time, who became my wife. But up until then, I just wasn't sure, I wasn't sure, I wasn't sure. And then in October, God gave me sudden faith. And I was able to buy a ring and get the roses and the candy. You know, I went the whole nine yards there. And I got down on my knees and I went blank. <laughs> That's another story. In April of 1981, God gave me faith to start a church in the city of Ottawa. In November of 1998, God gave me sudden faith or, or quickly gave me faith to be able to move out here to Surrey. In September of 1999, God gave me sudden faith to start this church, Grace Baptist Church. In October of 2012, God gave me faith, sudden faith, to, to lead our church to support many, many missionaries. I had been a believer in missions, but up until that point, I didn't see the opportunities. We had a few missionaries, a dozen missionaries or so. But today we support 110 missionaries. And it's incredibly blessing what we're hearing and seeing and what God's doing. Quick faith is always given by the Holy Spirit to a Christian at the right time so that Christian will do the will of God. It's always a sudden rush of inner confidence. The sudden faith was all a gift from God always. Now you might ask, well, how do we get this quick faith? How do we get it? And the answer is by starting with slow faith. 
If you do not have slow faith, God will never give you quick faith. It will never happen. As God sees your faithfulness in slow faith, he will put inside of you at some point in your heart a yearning to do more for the Lord. He will put it in your heart to start waiting upon the Lord daily and praying, Lord, what would you have me to do? And then one day he'll give you a thought, an exciting thought, some idea of what God would have you to do. And you keep praying about this, you keep reading your Bible and growing your slow faith, and at the right time the Holy Spirit will give you sudden faith, a complete confidence and assurance that yes, this is what God wants you to do, and then God will make it happen. Or perhaps, maybe you're going through a a difficult situation, or you will be facing a very troubling time, and you don't know what to do. The same principle applies. You keep at your slow faith. You keep growing your slow faith. And at the right time, God will give you sudden faith to solve your problem. Now, you might also be wondering, well, what if, what if we make a mistake? How will I recognize if it's sudden faith? What if it's a, a sudden fanciful idea? It's just my own you know, imagination. I've conjured up some, some idea, some desire. How do I know the difference? when God gives me sudden faith, or if it's my own fanciful idea. How do I know the difference? And that's a good question. And the answer brings us back to our original portion of Scripture that we looked at today. If you'd turn to Hebrews chapter 11. So a few pages to the right. Hebrews chapter 11. We started this message and I told you that verse, verse 1, Hebrews 11 verse 1, is the explanation. But I also said the explanation needs explaining. I explained to you the word faith, meaning a strong confidence. But look at it once again. Now faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. You've got substance and evidence. Faith does come with substance and evidence. There's some weight there. There's something that you're able to quote-unquote see, if you will. And anyhow, the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen, this is how we recognize the difference between faith and between our own fanciful notion, our own whim, our own idea. Faith has substance. Faith has evidence. Fanciful ideas don't have substance or evidence. They're just a fanciful idea. They're like a a bit of mist or a little bit of smoke or vapor. And it appears and disappears. That's the fanciful ideas. God will confirm to you with substance and with evidence the quick faith. If God's calling, for example, if God calls a young person to Bible college, Well, how do I know if it's just, you know, me wanting to get down there and play with the water slides and, you know, go on the rodeos and things? Or is it really God calling me? How do I know the difference? If it's of God, if it's faith of God, he will give substance, he will give evidence. Whereas the fanciful ideas, they're here today, they're gone tomorrow. You feel like it today, you don't feel like it tomorrow. 
You see the difference? Real faith is a gift from God. And with it, he'll bring substance and evidence. That's very important to know. Because God confirms it. And God will confirm it. In Matthew 25, 29, Jesus said, For unto everyone that hath shall be given, and he shall have abundance. Luke 16.10, He that is faithful in that which is least is faithful also in much. So you be faithful with the slow growth and God will give you the quick growth at the right time. If the faith is from God, it does not fade away. Tomorrow it'll still be here, maybe even stronger. Next year it'll still be here and stronger still. God's gift of faith does not fade away. The grass withereth, the flower fadeth. Fanciful ideas will wither and fade, but God's gift of faith remains. Sudden faith or quick faith is exciting because it means God is calling you to do something exciting with your life. But God will not give the gift of sudden faith to a Christian who forsakes the regular slow growing faith. Three times in the New Testament, Romans 1.17, Galatians 3.11, Hebrews 10.38, all tell us the just shall live by faith. That means Christians are to live by faith. Slow faith and sudden faith. Now my question is, are you living by faith? Or are you living by sight? Are you trying to reason everything out? Or has your faith found a resting place in what God has said? Are you making your life choices by what you can see and what you can hear? Or are you making your life choices by faith? Faith in what God says. We saw these examples in Hebrews chapter 11 of Abel and Noah and Abraham and others who all did these amazing things by faith. Christian people today are using faith to overcome bad habits. Faith to know the will of God for their life. Faith to have a successful marriage. Faith to have a successful career. Faith to raise godly children in an ungodly world. Faith to, to do things for God. It's all done by faith. Faith is what God says in the Bible. And so I ask you again, are you living more by faith than you are by sight? I have to finish up now, but I'll tell you this. It doesn't make sense to tithe. It does not make any worldly sense to tithe, to give God a tenth of your income. It doesn't make any sense, but it does by faith. By faith, it does, because faith sees the rewards, faith sees the blessings, faith sees the obedience to God's word, and faith says it makes all the sense. I'll tell you something else, it doesn't make sense to give to missions, to give to faith promise missions. It doesn't make any sense to do that, to give to missions. But it does by faith. It does by faith. It doesn't make any sense to go to church at 10 o'clock for the Sunday school for the Bible study and go to Sunday evening at 6 o'clock for the evening service. It doesn't make any sense. But it does by faith. It makes all the sense. By faith. It doesn't make any sense to get baptized and to be actively serving the Lord in the church. 
but it does by faith. Do you see the difference? I'll tell you something else. If you're here today and you've never been born again, it doesn't make sense to repent of a sinful life and get saved by asking Jesus into your heart. But it does by faith. If you're here today, my dear unsaved friend, I invite you to come to Jesus and acknowledge to him, admit to him, confess to him what he already knows is that the sin in your life has destroyed your opportunity to go to heaven. There's only a place called hell with its jaws open wide waiting for you, for that bus to hit you tomorrow morning, for that heart attack to hit you tomorrow night or, or, or something else. You're just kind of a, a living time bomb waiting to go off. But if you'll come to Jesus, he'll save you. He'll save your soul. He'll give you new purpose in life. And I'm telling you, if anything ever made sense, going to heaven makes sense. You need to move over to the winning side of life by receiving Jesus Christ as your personal Savior. Now, just a quick word to my saved brother or sister here today. I ask, have you been living a life of very few victories? Very little happiness. Perhaps you've been neglecting your slow day-by-day faith process. Today, would you ask God to help you to live by faith. Live by faith in his word. And like we were singing earlier in the service, bring your problems to him today and ask for his help for solutions. Ask him. To put you on the winning side. Close your eyes and bow your head, please, as we look to the Lord in prayer at this time. Thank you for watching the message today. We invite you to join us again every Sunday and Wednesday for more inspiring messages from God's Word.